Hello, everyone. I just wanted to preface this episode by telling you I'm sorry. I uh, I was sick on the night that I started recording this, so I got partway through, and I was making too many flubs and mistakes and simple reading issues, and then I realized that I was sick. And then my voice started going, so I stopped and decided I would rather wait and record it when <clears throat> I felt like I could at least complete the episode and not have a ton of errors in it for you. Yeah, I started coming down with a fever. I wasn't feeling well. This was so three, four days ago from when you'll hear this and uh, not really sure if it was the flu or it was the other dreaded thing that starts with a C. But we shall see. Uh, I am feeling better. I'm not feeling 100%, but I'm feeling much better than I was and wanted to get out a bonus episode for you. So yeah, folks, I'm sorry. I've been moving at a glacial pace here in Tower Studios as of late with some of the stuff going on. But um, yeah, over the next few weeks, I'll definitely have out some more content for you. Also, I wanted to give my condolences to Mark in San Antonio, Texas, to his family. Uh, they have recently lost a loved one, and my heart does go out to you, Mark. I hope that you get through this as painlessly as you can. It's never easy. Each and every, every one of us go through this in life. Unfortunately, I've had my share, and I know almost everyone listening has had their share, and it will continue. I mean, it's part of life. But, Mark, my thoughts are there for you. You're a great supporter of the show, and you're a great resource. You take a lot of time to send me things and give me feedback, and I really do appreciate it. And, folks, on the next full episode, I'll have a bit of an announcement for you. So with all of that being said, my friends, I hope that you do enjoy this bonus episode, and I've got some news out there for you now, and I'll get to work in the background on trying to get something more substantial out in the near future. Again, thank you so much for sticking with me. Thanks for listening. And again, uh, 90 countries strong and going. So thank you so very much, my friends. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, hello everyone. I hope that you're doing well all over the world. On this episode of the Paranormal Sun, we've just got a bit of a bonus episode for you. I'm sorry, um, as is often the case with all of us, life has gotten in the way the last few weeks. I've got a lot going on, and I just haven't had time to sit down and really edit conversations that I've had with people before or write out anything. And rather than doing another News of the Damned full episode, I, wanted, I want to make this a bonus episode. So we're going to try and keep it fairly tight, pretty short and sweet. I'm uh, going to aim for under an hour and just try and give you something, keep an eye on the news aside from COVID and the Ukraine, and whatever Prince Andrew's up to, etc., etc., etc. I'm okay, but I've just got a few things going on with life. As I've said on the show, and many of the long-term listeners know, I've been out of work for quite a while, and I'm trying to get back in the position to be able to enter the workforce in the not-too-distant future. 
Now that means I've got to start spending time doing things other than the show and just other general activities. I've got to be focusing much more on things like preparing for interviews, getting back in shape, and you know all the rest. So yeah, I'm like I say, and I've said it before, I try and be honest with you, the listeners. I don't know quite what that's going to mean for the Paranormal Sun. I would love to continue to do the show, but the reality is the show's not paying any of the bills right now. And again, that that's fine. I didn't get into this to think that I was going to be Joe Rogan or Howard Stern and make a living out of it. If I did, hey, that's great. But at the same time, that's not what the Paranormal Sun's about. It's really about making you think, and it's really about discussing things that you might not know about, or maybe things that you already did know about, and just a little bit of a different spin or a different way of looking at things. I mean, I've learned so much on just about every topic that I've covered, and I've definitely learned a lot from all the excellent guests that I've had, and from you, the listeners, that get in touch with me, send me emails, and just keep in touch with me. Like I say, I really do appreciate it. People from all over the world, and it's been the best part of doing this show. That is the God's honest truth, as the saying goes. So, we do have a milestone to cross. Recently here on the Paranormal Sun, we crossed into the 90th country to listen to the program. So Bolivia, thank you very much, whoever's listening in Bolivia, and to each and every one of you around the world who's listening to the program. Yeah, like I say, obviously, I couldn't do that without you, my loyal listeners. And when I started out with the show, it's really something that um, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if anyone was going to want to listen to me giving my thoughts on a lot of these topics, but you have. And I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Uh, if this journey came to an end tomorrow, I would be forever grateful to each and every one of you who's ever listened, commented on social media posts, taken the time to get in touch with me, telling me I'm doing a good job. It has all just really meant the world to me. And that is from the bottom of my heart. So thank you very much. Again, if you want to support the show, you can, of, of course, support the show in many different ways. One of the best ways is just to tell others that you know, hey, check out this show. Uh, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> As with anything, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but even Joe Rogan isn't everyone's cup of tea, okay? So that's just how it is. One of our listeners in San Antonio, Texas, Mark. Mark, thank you very much for reaching out to your family members and suggesting The Paranormal Son. It's very humbling to me, and I really do appreciate it. And like I say, folks, uh, I'm sorry if I haven't been the most accessible or the most active on social media in that, but it's just a fact that life is starting to pick up again. Business is picking up, and I've got to focus on some other things as well. Look, if I won Powerball tomorrow and I had enough money to pay the bills and not worry about money again, I'd be right back into doing this show. Uh, maybe it would be with some employees. I might get somebody to handle the social media. Maybe help me with some of the editing and booking in that. But look, this is a passion of mine. And right now, and through this pandemic, and me being out of work, this has been the greatest passion that I've found. And it's been just amazing. And like I say, I really appreciate everyone who listens and who's reached out and supported me. 
And even if it's something that you think might be nitpicky or, oh, look, you could do this better or you might have made a mistake here. Hey, like I say, live and learn. And I appreciate the people who do take the time. It really does mean a lot to me. So I'm going to give you one other little short note. And that's this whole deal with Ukraine. Now, I am not saying that Russia or Vladimir Putin has got, let's say, for example, the U.S.'s best interest at heart. But the reality to me is this. If this isn't if this isn't contrived or hasn't been contrived, if there hasn't been some type of collusion between the U.S. and Russia on some level, and again, I'm not saying the president of the U.S. necessarily may know what's going on, but maybe with some of the intelligence services or maybe some other back-channel communication. It is very interesting that not too long ago we were talking about the massive inflation in the U.S. and all the struggles and pain that everyone is going through. And lo and behold, ooh, Ukraine, ooh, shiny, ooh, war, World War Three. Let's get in there and let's, you know, we're going to sort this out and we're going to stop that big bad guy. I find it very interesting. I am very, very cynical with politicians all over the world, but especially the political beast that is the United States government. I'm very skeptical of things being at face value anytime the U.S. government is involved. And again, this goes back to at least the Romans. And if the Romans didn't invent it, they at the very least perfected the art. It's the old saying, when all else fails, take them to war. So, yeah, your infrastructure is falling apart. Uh, your pay isn't enough to pay your rent. You can't buy a house. There aren't any houses. The costs are going up massively. You can't afford food. You can't afford gas. Oh, well, I got something to distract you. Let's start talking about World War Three. And again, this has been going on for thousands of years. And I'm not the first one to say it, and I won't be the last. And this is also not the first time I've said it on the program. Now, before anyone out there gets all upset and thinks that I'm attacking Biden or the Democrats or anyone else, hey, George Bush Jr. was really good at this. George Bush was good at this. Ronald Reagan was good at this. All of the presidents in my lifetime have been good at beating the war drums at the appropriate times to distract the U.S. public from important topics. And again, it's not only in the US, it happens elsewhere. I know it happens in China. I know it happens in Russia. I know it happens in large parts of Europe and Africa and South America. It's as old as time, basically, as old as civilization. You want to galvanize your population and you want them to stop picking out things that you as a pol political entity should be doing better to make their lives better? Well, again, galvanize. As much as you can divide and conquer, you can also unify if you start pointing out and saying the people over that hill over there, ooh, they're big and bad, and they're going to come and take your berries, or they're going to come and take your cropland. If you don't do something about it, you need to stand up and you need to fight them. And there's thousands of them. Yep. And this happened with the quote-unquote missile gap in the 50s. Ex-Nazi intelligence officers and scientists telling the Russians that the U.S. had a huge advantage and telling the U.S. that the Russians had a huge advantage, basically so that at the end of the day, we can keep building more missiles and we can keep spending more money on R&D because, hey, we're making money off of it. 
And it's, as I said, it's basically as old as civilization. And I also don't think it's going to stop in definitely in my lifetime and for many, many years. So, yep, uh, outside of that, let's hope that cooler heads do prevail and nothing massive happens. I can't guarantee to you that I'm 100% sold that nothing will happen and that Russia wouldn't potentially invade the Ukraine, etc., etc., etc. Because there are definitely times when the saber-rattling goes over the line, and we've seen it before. So we will just try and stay positive. I know I've had listens in the Ukraine, and honestly, for the people on the ground there, as with any other country, under the threat of an invasion, just because I've got certain feelings about it, and that I've got feelings that the timing is very suspicious. It doesn't mean that you aren't under threat. So I do hope that this works itself out as peacefully as can be done and as quickly as can be done. And we're not dealing with this for the next month or two or three months. So yeah, folks, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I definitely do have my thoughts. The last thing I want to do really is see people in general anywhere in the world fighting and killing each other over stuff. And especially at that level, because make no mistake, if the, if Russia invades the Ukraine, there are going to be tens of thousands of people dead on both sides in total. It, it will be uh, very messy. And obviously, civilians are going to suffer as well. There will be deaths. There will be all kinds of issues and starvation and all kinds of stuff that I hate seeing in my life. I've seen enough of it all the way from the breakup of Yugoslavia, both Gulf Wars, all of the killings that have happened in Africa, all of the wars in the Middle East, and all over the Falklands War. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all human beings. They might not all look like us, and they might not speak the language we speak, and they might have different customs, but we're all humans. And I hate to see boys, basically most of the time, your boys, you're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds marching off to war to die. And at the end of the day, many, many rich people, and many of them old enough to be the boys' grandfathers, are lining their pockets. So yeah, definitely not something I want to see. So I will hold out hope that a peaceful resolution can be found. And as I say, sooner rather than later. And one other quick note for those of you who asked. Yes, we had a cyclone here over the weekend, and let's see, I think it was kind of Saturday, Sunday, kind of. We got a lot of high winds in that, but here at Tower Studios, we were quite fortunate. We always tend to be, uh, I always joke that my family motto should be, it's hard to kill a weed, but here it was just more mess than anything else. A lot of leaves and a lot of wind, and we didn't get a lot of rain, and we actually could have used the rain, but uh, what can you do? Mother Nature... Mother Nature does what she wants when she wants, so it is what it is. So, folks, for those of you who are new to the show, there was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort, and Charles Fort's thoughts on what we all enjoy, things like the paranormal and missing people and lights in the sky and sea serpents and cryptids, Charles Fort's viewpoints on these subjects have shaped a lot of people's thoughts over the years, and a lot of people's worldviews, and JT is one of those people. Well, as I say, Charles Fort was one of the first people who really started gathering this information, and he gathered information from magazines and newspapers all over the world, 
and he wrote 40, 50, 60,000 index cards, and then he later correlated those into four books about these subjects. And the wonderful thing about Charles Fort was he may give his opinions, but he also asked, what do you think it was? What do you think this out-of-place object was, or why was this coin that was found in a layer of archaeological findings that were two or 3,000 years old when no one in that area had any coinage at the time? Why do you think that was, or how did that coin get there? Well, Charles Fort referred to anything that was excluded or ignored by science as damn data. Therefore, this segment of the paranormal sun is always known as... The news, the news of the And for those of you that are new to the Paranormal Sun, I always have a link to all of the articles in the show notes. So if there's an article there that you want to check out, you can go into the show notes and click on the links of the articles. So the first one here, my friends, is from Bloomberg. And about my earlier tirade about cynicism with the U.S. government? Yeah, well, here we go. CIA secretly collected bulk data on American citizens, senators say. Yeah, accidentally. Justin Sink and John Harney were the authors of this. Bloomberg. Two U.S. senators said that the Central Intelligence Agency has been sec secretly collecting bulk information on American citizens without congressional oversight. Oh, shock. I am so surprised. The senators, Ron Wyden of Oregon and Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, expressed alarm in an April 13th letter to Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, and William Burns, the director of the CIA. The agency said the programs involved counterterrorism intelligence-related activities that operated under Executive Order 12333. It also announced that portions of the reports on the programs were being declassified, according to a statement on Thursday. The senators, members of the Intelligence Committee, say that the agency has conducted its own bulk program and has done so outside the statutory framework that Congress and the public believe govern the collection. The letter, which was heavily redacted, did not indicate how long exactly the surveillance had unfolded. And I'd say since, oh, about 1954 when they founded the CIA? How widespread it had been, or what sort of information was collected, and from who? Wayden and Heinrich, who had been asked about the amount of data collected and the circumstances of its storage and dissemination, said the program, or programs, didn't have the oversight safeguards of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, which governs tracking of people sub suspected of being involved in terrorism or espionage. Until a report was delivered last March, the senator said that the nature and full extent of the CIA's collection was withheld even from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. The White House did not immediately respond to a request for comment Thursday night. In the two-page statement on Thursday, the CIA said it keeps the intelligence panel up to speed on its programs and all CIA officers have a solemn obligation to protect the privacy and civil liberties of Americans. Yeah. Declassified reviews covered the year, the years 2015 to 2021, the agency added. 
CIA recognizes and takes very seriously our obligation to respect the privacy and civil liberties of U.S. persons in the conduct of our vital national security mission, and conducts our activities, including collective activities in compliance with U.S. law, Executive Order 12333, and our Attorney General Guidelines, Christy Scott, CIA's Privacy and Civil Liberties Officer, said in an emailed statement. CIA is committed to transparency consistent with our obligation to protect intelligence sources and methods. Sean Vitka, Senior Policy Counsel of the advocacy group Demand Progress, said in a statement that, despite years of congressional and public outcry against warrantless mass surveillance of people in the U.S., the CIA has been hiding bulk spying programs, infringing on our rights of literally every American, and completely evading the oversight of Congress and courts. Yeah, interesting that that's pretty much how the article ends. No real commentary or how they're going to fix it or anything else. I shouldn't be shocked, but yeah, things like this, still, uh, I don't know what to say. I guess it leaves me a bit speechless. Am I shocked? No, I'm not shocked at all, but I should be. I should be appalled. Uh, the average American, I think, would be shocked and appalled, but... Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, we are literally living in the world of 1984. Big Brother monitors what and when it likes and retains such information for as long as it likes. And it is what it is. And congressional oversight be damned. We'll do what we want. We've got an executive order says we'll do what we want. So, yeah. So let's see. Let's see if anything actually comes out of this. But I highly doubt anything effective will come out of it. Okay. So, the next one. Now, this is from Wyoming. The great western state of Wyoming. I can't remember what Wyoming's uh, slogan is off the top of my head, so I do apologize. So, this is from 95.5 My Country, but this is an interesting article. And it says, Historical Haunted Higgins Hotel in Glenrock for Sale. The historic Higgins Hotel, an attached Paisley Shaw restaurant, located in downtown Glenrock, is for sale. It's on the National Register of Historic Places and has 17 rooms and several ghosts. The Higgins Hotel was built in 1913 and is located right in the center of downtown Glenrock. In 1983, it was put on the National Register of Historic Homes, and while it has been renovated several times, it continues to keep its early 1900s charm. Keep in mind that a building of this age is bound to have a few stories, and this hotel also claims to have at least four ghosts. The front door of the Higgins Hotel is decorated with beautiful stained glass and bears the name of the attached restaurant, the Paisley Shawl. The side parlor. This beautiful seating room or side parlor gives guests and visitors a look at the history of the Higgins Hotel, with the architecture of the buildings and antiques. It's almost like taking a walk back in time. The Paisley Shawl. Inside the Higgins Hotel is the popular local restaurant, the Paisley Shawl. The restaurant is located in what was once the ballroom, just look at that gorgeous floor because they've got some photos of it here, and still has an elegant atmosphere. The Antelope Bar If you're looking for a small-town bar where you can enjoy a great drink and get caught up on local happenings, this is it. With 17 rooms in the hotel, you don't even have to worry about driving yourself home. The Front Desk the front desk of the Higgins Hotel is exactly what you would expect from a historic hotel. Lots of gorgeous polished wood, 
and a friendly local ready to tell you about the Dinosaur Museum and the great hiking up Box Elder Road. Spacious Rooms Located a quick 20 minutes from Douglas or Casper, Glenrock is the perfect spot to spend the night. The Higgins Hotel has many guest rooms, suites, and apartments to accommodate get groups of any size or a stay of any length. But keep in mind that you need to share your room with the ghost. Apartment. The Higgins Hotel has several two-bedroom apartments that are available to guests. Outside Vintage Charm. A little gazebo would be the perfect spot for a summer wedding. Your guests could stay and eat at the hotel both before and after the big event. We mentioned that the hotel is located right in downtown Glenrock. And keep in mind, you will also be right next to the fabulous new Splash Park that will be up and going this summer. The Higgins Hotel would be the perfect business opportunity for someone looking to take care of the influx of summer tourists that annually descends upon Wyoming. I also know that the locals would love another choice for a great place to eat for the occasional weekend date nights. The current asking price for the historic Higgins is 595000 And then it says you can learn more by clicking this link, but don't get too excited, folks, because I think this article is from 2021, so I'm sure it's sold by now. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the ghosts, this video gives you a quick look at Edith and at least one other Higgins Hotel ghost. I have to admit between the video and a few other Facebook comments, I may have to do some more digging into the ghost stories that go along with the hotel. And yeah, honestly, folks, if there was one thing in that article I was disappointed about, it's the fact that they mention one ghost by name, but they don't tell any of the backstories about these purported four ghosts. For me, that's always one of the most interesting things, but it is what it is. There's a link of the article in the show notes. I know I've had some listeners in Wyoming, so I wanted to cover something in Wyoming. There's a few states that I don't get to too often. So again, if there's something that you want me to cover, email it to me and I'll read it on air. Now, the next one is from a website that I've talked about quite a bit on the show, which is the Black Vault. That is the website that released all of the CIA files that I cover on the show from time to time. And this article interested me with the name. So it says, Mystery Drones of the SoCal. And it says, by Dave Betty. And it's from February the 11th. So, it says here, and this is important. The following article is published by the Black Vault with permission from the author, Dave Betty. It cannot be reproduced without permission. It coincides with the interview you will see at the top. And surrounds his three-year-long journey trying to unravel the unexplained encounters between the U.S. Navy and the mystery drone craft that were seen through the month of July 2019. So again, if you want to check out this original, you can click the link to the Black Vault, and then you can follow the link over to Dave Betty's website. 2021 will go down in history as the year the U.S. government did an about-face on its long-standing position that it has no interest in the study of UFOs. First, we had the June 25, 2021 release of the report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence called the Preliminary Assessment of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Then the December passage of the U.S. Senator Kirsten Gilbrand's UAP Amendment in the Fiscal Year 22 National Defense Authorization Act, mandating the establishment of a permanent office and multi-agency task force inside the Pentagon to investigate, respond to, and report on unidentified aerial phenomena as a potential threat to national security. What was going on? What had changed? Many of us who follow such things let out a collective sigh. 
the U.S. government has not had a stellar record in the past investigations of UFOs. The 1968 Conan report comes to mind. The June preliminary UAP report was somewhat of a letdown, not because it was a disappointment in its conclusions, but rather it didn't provide any conclusions about UFOs. I mean UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, the current euphemism Uncle Sam is using these days. The report did say that they could not identify most of the 144 military UAP cases they examined and that UAP may pose a challenge to national security and further research and resources were needed. That's where the new UAP office comes in. Sadly, most, if not all, of the case files and reports are classified, with no indications the new UAP office would be any more open with publicly accessible information. In fact, as we shall see, in some cases the DOD is going out of its way to make sure some of the data is kept out of the prying eyes of the media and FOIA investigators alike. This twisting and confusing story has many roots, which go well back before 2021 and any official reporting by the military about UAP incursions. In fact, it goes back to 2004. Hmm, that year sounds... sounds uh, seems to be ringing a, a memory bell for me. What about you folks? As an investigative filmmaker, I was studying military UAP cases from 2004 to the present, and what I found left me puzzled about a real mystery that remains unexplained to this day. For me, that research began in December 2017, when the New York Times broke the story on the ATIP program being run out of the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and the Navy's 2004 Tic Tac case with the FLIR videos they released described as UAPs. When I first learned about that curious case of the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz, 100 miles off the coast of, of San Diego, California, in November of 2004, I was enthralled by the descriptions of a 50-foot-long, white capsule-shaped UFO that had outpaced F-A-18F Super Hornets. One of those fighter pilots, Commander Alan Dietrich, described to 60 Minutes how she and, sorry, Alex Dietrich, uh, not Alan, how she and her squadron mates had first encountered a strange rolling sea surface water disturbance, and when they descended to investigate, a single smooth white cigar-shaped object that suddenly appeared and rose up towards the jets before taking off at lightning speed, leaving the pilots wide-eyed and baffled. Even the ship's radar operators were dumbfounded by the returns displaying remarkable flight characteristics which had been popping up on their scopes for the entire week. Some of them were also blindsided when USAF officers showed up to retrieve those files, sorry, to retrieve those data recordings from the radars and E-2 Hawkeye early warning planes. At least that's how some of the witnesses remembered it. Not all of them agree on the details. The USS Nimitz event inspired me to create a short animated documentary called The Nimitz Encounters in 2018. I actually made it for myself, as I set about to interview the witness and then recreate in 3D animation those amazing descriptions and stories. Just as the pilots like Commander Jim Strait and Top Gun Anti-Air Warfare Controller Senior Chief Kevin Day described. I released it for free, and I asked viewers to email me at anon at thenimitzencounters.com if they had a military UFO encounter. Little did I know the can of worms would open up, along with the 5 million plus views to date the film has received. 
That plus the winding trail of incredibly complex and challenging research that followed. And it says you can find that film here, so there's a link if you want to watch it. One contact le left led me to explore a whole new series of events and opened up the mystery drone encounters with the U.S. Navy. The July 2019 Navy Incursions. First contact. The email subject line read, question, question. It was April 24, 2020. Whoever was contacting me didn't know what to put in the subject heading. The writer explained that he was a retired 20-year Navy vet with 14 years at sea, and that he was there in 2004 just after that November Tic Tac event. In fact, he was in the Combat Information Center, or CIC, on the destroyer USS Chaffee. Based on my FOIAs of Chaffee's deck logs, see Document Archive at the end of the article, they had just arrived from Hawaii in December of 2004, just after Commander David Fravor's November 14th dogfight with the Tic Tac, and as the USS Nimitz Strike Group returned to the SoCal Operations Area for further flight training. Now a retired Chief Warrant Officer, he had a long and decorated Navy career. I was able to confirm his identity with several of the other Navy veterans, including Kevin Day, who worked with him in 2004. He told me of another yet unpublished and unverified account of his known radar-controlled air intercept with the Tic Tacs from the Chaffee. This occurred after the November 2004 event, Commanders Fravor, Slate, and Dietrich reported. I was there. During that shit show, one of the controllers and I actually intercepted one of these. We had a 1 versus 1, 1 FA-18 Super Hornets go up, and one of the jets went down from uh, for maintenance before the launch, so it was up, uh, up as a single ship. We got permission from Whiskey, and they ran on out on it. On the intercept, the pilot was radio silent, but once he came back on the radio, he was freaked out and said he had never seen anything perform like that as it descended vertically right in front of him. Also, I know of another OS, or operation specialist, from the ship who has run into these again in the SoCal operation area recently. Did you hear about the incident involving the USS Kid in 2019? And it says CWO Anonymous. No, I hadn't, in fact. No one had. I was going to say, yeah, I haven't heard of that. This was the first mention of this event that I know of. A sighting by the Arleigh Burke class missile destroyer, USS Kidd, in 2019, in the same place as the Nimitz. I had never heard of it or any U.S. Navy UFO sightings in 2019. Presented with this new lead from the CWO, I quickly fired off a Freedom of Information Act request for the USS Kidd's July deck logs. But before we get ahead of ourselves, a little perspective is needed. So they're giving you an idea of the operations range, the SoCal, Southern California Naval Operations Range. I'm going to glance over some of this because it is pretty long, folks, and I don't want us to be stuck on this article forever. Uh, fear of MIBs. My anonymous email CWO source told me he'd been freaked out for years fearing a visit from the men in black the notorious MIBs, since his 2004 experience. He said his PTSD acts up occasionally, and maybe that's why. He recalled how Nimitz Brass had hastily demanded all audio and radar recordings he sent over immediately and removed from the CIC on his ship. He told his controllers in the CIC not to talk about it, just in case. But it wasn't enough to stop him from providing details about the other event in 2019 that he believed needed to be exposed. He explained that his Navy buddy had witnessed these same types 
of Tic Tac objects in 2019, this time on the USS Kidd, not just with a jet interceptor or radar contact, but it was up close and personal with multiple unknown objects trailing the ship, flying around the ships, and hovering over the ships. There wouldn't be many concrete answers, not yet anyway. Maybe it's ours, maybe it's theirs, maybe it will be the Nimitz too, or maybe, just maybe, it would defy all reasonable attempts at identifying it, and become, well, unidentified. Striking pay dirt. Luckily, the Navy saves all vessel logs from the bridges of every ship going back to pre-World War II, or at least that's what I thought, but more on that later. These logs record the minute-by-minute goings-on, speed, heading, engines, and other minutiae. These logs are all boxed up and sent to the Navy History and Heritage Command at the Washington Naval Yard in Washington, D.C. One may think it's odd to search for UFO reports in the Navy's History Museum archives, but that is essentially what I did. They finally arrived in early May of 2020, and I scoured the 400-plus redacted pages for UFO sightings. Instead, I quickly found Snoopy and UAV sightings. Rather, Snoopy, S-N-O-O-P-I-E, team sightings. There were numerous reports of Away Snoopy, Team Away, spotted unidentified drone, all usually at night. A quick internet search led me to the answer for what Snoopy stood for, Ship's Nautical or Otherwise Photographic Interception and Examination. It's a quick response team of Navy mass communication specialists, photographers who film and videotape any unknown ship or aircraft for intelligence gathering. The team runs, climbs, and hauls their gear to the top of the bridge superstructure, day or night, 24-7, and in any weather. Whenever the Snoopy team is called away, they come with high-end DSLR cameras and video cameras also. Calling away the Snoopy team in U.S. waters is definitely not something normally done, and doing so at night is really unusual. The team's main purpose is held is to help ID a vessel of interest or document something unusual about a vessel or aircraft, and that's CWO Anonymous. Sorry, just scrolling past some of the um, documents they've got in here. In June 2020, blogger Danny Silva of SilvaRecord.com wrote up the story online. He was the first to contact me about the USS Kidd sightings and write about my research. Next, freelance writer and French air navigation control engineer Mark uh, Sicotti contacted me after I published my findings publicly on social media, and we both began seeking more official documents and the Snoopy reports via FOIA. Mark and I were able to get many more documents released via FOIA. The USS Kids deck logs alone revealed month-long multi-night, multi-witness sightings of unknown aerial objects that ultimately I would discover included 10 other ships, including the aircraft carrier USS Theodore Roosevelt. The the boatswain's mates creating the deck logs did not use the terms UAP or UFO. The logs described them as unidentified UAVs, suspected drones, red lights, flashing red lights, red flares, and white lights, all documented by numerous Snoopy teams tracking, filming, and recording them night after night near the Channel Islands of Southern California. Now that's really interesting. For those of you that don't know, the Channel Islands are off the coast of Los Angeles, and the Channel Islands is one of the areas where they've talked about for a long time there being a a UAP, uh, or sorry, um, can't think of the the term off the top of my head, but an underwater USO, that's it, a USO base being in this area. 
because of people seeing UFOs flying and then diving in the sea or coming out of the sea. And there was a program a while back, a couple of years ago on the History Channel, where they purportedly identified this base or there's a strange sonar scan that just makes it look very interesting. But anyway, all I'm saying is it's very interesting that's, that this is where the U.S. Navy was running into all of these anomalous objects, let's say. Were these training exercises or a real military threat to the strike group? The logs fail to mention any call to general quarters or battle stations. The first thing I'd expect if any threat to the ship was perceived. What did my anonymous CWO source think about this whole case being caused by remote-controlled drones? My boy said they looked like big Tic Tacs, nothing like a drone. He said he could see them with the naked eye, and they were almost eye-level with the bridge, hovering. They were the same Tic Tac-shaped objects. CWO Anonymous. So, folks, this is a very interesting article, and it's very in-depth. They go really in-depth into where the ships were, what ships were involved, and they've got maps and all kinds of other documents. But I'm not going to read the entire rest of the article, just because... I want to move on to another one, and I've given you a pretty good idea of what's in this article. But they've got UFO or UAP or whatever else you want to call it, encounters with these ships, and they've got times, uh, communications between different people on the ships. So it is interesting, and it's worth a read if this is the kind of stuff that interests you. I know that a friend of the show, Dave in Missouri, will definitely be checking this out, so uh, I'll make sure that it gets over to him. And again, there's a link in the show notes, and that link will literally say, uh, let's see, sorry here, Mystery Drones of the SoCal. So what I tend to do is I try and take the byline of the article and have that as the name in the uh, show note link, so you can just click on it, and then the link will take you directly to that page. Right, so now on to the next article, and this is from Mysterious Universe. And this one says, Ghosts in Sherwood Forest. Investigators provide photos. And yes, that Sherwood Forest, the one in England, the one where Robin Hood is supposed to have lived with his merry men. So this is from Paul Seaburn. And it says, Sherwood Forest is forever linked to the legend of Robin Hood. So spotting a tights-wearing ghost with a bow might help push that legend a little closer to reality. It's the Royal Forest of Nottinghamshire, and that county dates back to Roman Britain. So it's long heritage and ancient buildings are qualified to be haunted and to share those ghosts with Sherwood Forest. Paranormal investigator Dean Buckley visited there recently and brought along his trusty camera and his wife Veronica, a spiritualist medium, there to communicate with and help identify the apparitions Dean regularly photographs. He was kindly he has kindly shared his latest photos from his recent trip to Sherwood Forest. Any of the merry men making mayhem? We felt we were not alone as we entered the forest. We felt we were being watched as we walked up to the major oak in complete darkness. In his email, Dean says he, Veronica, medium Jane Danby, and paranormal investigator Frank Gonsavales entered Sherwood Forest through the village of Edwinstowe. For those up on the legends, Robin and Maid Marian were said to have been married in Edwinstowe's St. Mary's Church and the major oak is where Robin and his merry men slept. Veronica identified those watching them as brothers John and Richard and two unrelated men named Tom and Charles. The most interesting of the presences, she says, she felt were Roger and Matilda, 
who said they were married at the church in Edwinstow and were blessed by the king. The king was not identified. Meanwhile, Dean says he and Frank saw a shooting star and lights in the forest and heard banging on drum sounds. As they walked, Jane was recording with an SLS, structured light sensor, using an SLS stickman app that highlights unseen but detected apparitions with a stick figure. Dean provided two interesting stickman photos. The first was said to be something Dean felt jump from behind some trees. The second was what Dean claimed to be an arrow. And again, there are photos of this in the, uh, in the link. Who would have shot an arrow at the investigators? Dean claims this photo is a hooded figure. And then there's another photo here. And this one is the spirit of Little John. All of the members of Dean's team reported heavy feelings, feelings of being watched in areas of unusual coldness. He doesn't have any other details on the hooded figure, a common apparition in England, or the spirit of Little John, which would imply that there might be other merry spirits nearby. What did Dean Buckley and his paranormal investigation team see, hear, feel, and apparently photograph in Sherwood Forest? It's hard to say, but the photos and accounts are indeed interesting, and it beats watching Robin Hood, Ghosts of Sherwood, perhaps the worst Robin Hood movie ever, where Robin, Will Scarlet, and Friar Tuck are killed then brought back to life as zombies. You've been warned, it's as bad as it sounds. Thanks as always to Dean Buckley for his investigation account and photographs. So yeah, folks, interesting little one there, and something that is definitely right in my ballywick, as you would say in the UK. I really love history. Co combine history and ghosts, and you've got my attention. Look, it is interesting. And I would argue that, just let's say for argue's sake, that we could prove that uh, ghosts were real, that they were the souls of people who had passed away um, before. I've got no doubt that their version of history would be very, very much different from the history that we've been taught or what's trickled down to us over the years. I've got no doubt there's lots that we don't know about or lots that we have gotten wrong. I mean, to paraphrase, I believe it was Winston Churchill. Uh, history is written by the victors, and that's the reality. Uh, we would have had a very different history if the Axis would have won World War II, or if the USSR would have been the only superpower to survive the Cold War, etc., etc. I've got no doubt in it. So yeah, interesting little one, and again, I can't prove anything of the stories I've told you folks in the past. I've just got what I observed what i felt etc but exactly what they were saying about having that heavy feeling in the forest and feeling like they're being watched yep i put my hand up i've definitely had that feeling many times and almost always when i'm in that instance i either find out that other people have claimed that there have been things there or someone took their life or whatever else or i've had direct interactions with entities for lack of a better term uh, in that situation, so I can definitely, I can I can definitely connect with that. But again, is it proof? Of course, it's not proof. It's just someone's feelings, same as mine. So yeah, interesting article. And if you want to check out the pictures, just click on the link in the show notes. Right. So on to the last article of this episode of the News of the Damned, and this is an interesting one. So I saved it for last, as you do. So this one is from Anomalian.com. So yeah, N-A-A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E-N.com. 
It's because they've got an alien's head in place of the O in an in an in anom anomalian. All right. So alien oil mystery liquid falls from sky over eastern Las Vegas neighborhood. And this is from February 13th. People in one eastern Las Vegas neighborhood near Hollywood Boulevard and Charleston Avenue have been completely perplexed for weeks as mysterious brown or black droplets have fallen on their properties, reports strangesounds.org. Marcos Cervantes said that the droplets have rained on his home, cars, RV, basketball course, and just about everything else for the last three to four weeks. It could be grease. Oil? I don't know, Cervantes said while looking at the hood of his mystery liquid-coated SUV. It's very hard to maintain my vehicles. It's very, very difficult to be outside in my backyard knowing that I can't even cook or barbecue or anything like that because of the droplets on my food. Neighbors in the area declined an interview and said they've all experienced the same thing with no explanation. Cervantes questioned whether the droplets could have come from planes passing overhead, but he said contacting the FAA yields no answers. He wondered whether the substance could be toxic or harmful to his health. I would like somebody to take action and help me determine what this is and help find a solution, he said. So yeah, I guess in a way it's alien, but the odds are that's probably a pretty mundane explanation. Although uh, one of my mentors, Charles Fort, he discussed many times in his books about strange liquids falling in areas, uh, strange rains. There was a famous case from that Coast to Coast covered of a red rain in India in the, want to say, early 2000s, kind of like 2004, 2005, something like that. And when they looked at it under a microscope, there was life in it. So, yeah, it is interesting. And things like this, they're just little pieces in the pattern that forms what we love here at the Paranormal Sun. Well, folks, I do hope that you enjoyed those articles. I'll do my best to get something back out to you in the near future. I've been pretty sick um, the last few days, and you'll have an update at the beginning of this episode because I'm going to go back and explain what happened. But anyway, I do hope that you have a great week. Take care, stay safe, and I will talk to you soon.